gardeners, farmers, compost enthusiasts, and growers. Welcome to The Healthy Garden, the show where soil is important and growing a healthier world is job one. Hello out there, gardening friends and foes. Welcome to episode number 37 of The Healthy Garden Podcast, The Deadly Nightshade Dilemma. It sounds ominous, doesn't it? Just the word nightshade sounds ominous. I've always been curious about nightshade plants because I am a big fan of Shakespeare. And being of Scottish descent, my favorite Shakespearean tragedy just happens to be Macbeth. Shakespeare's plays are categorized as tragedies, comedies, or histories. In Shakespeare's tragedies, the main protagonist has a flaw that leads to his and or her downfall. There are both internal and external struggles and often a bit of the supernatural thrown in for good measure and for tension. Often there are passages or characters that have the job of lightening the mood, a little comic relief, but the overall tone of the piece is quite serious. Macbeth can basically be summed up as this. Three witches tell the Scottish general Macbeth that he will be king of Scotland. He gets encouraged by his wife, Lady Macbeth, so Macbeth kills the king, becomes the new king, and then kills a whole lot more people out of paranoia. Then a civil war erupts to overthrow Macbeth, which results in more death. Pretty happy stuff, right? Well, it fits life. What I like about Shakespeare is there's always a lot of truth in the human condition in his plays. How many of us have gone with a terrible idea and made it more terrible for whatever reason? So back to the deadly nightshades. Scotland's King Duncan I, the inspiration for William Shakespeare's Macbeth, used deadly nightshade with tremendous results. He passed around bottles filled with liquid nightshade to his enemies, the Danes, who then drank the sweet concoction heartily in celebration and were dead in an instant. King Duncan's forces didn't have to fight at all. The reason these ploys worked was because the berries of deadly nightshade taste sweet. In a fermented drink, you probably couldn't tell the difference in a wine, mead, or ale. As a result... All you would think is that there is extra sweetness. In Act 1, Scene 3, Macbeth and Banquo stand bewildered as the witches vanish. Banquo. The earth hath bobbles as the water has, and these are of them. Whither are they vanished? Macbeth. Into the air, and what seemed corporal melted as breath into the wind would they had stayed. Banquo. Were such things here as we do speak about, or have we eaten on the insane route that takes the reason prisoner? I want you to know that if you are eating tomatoes, potatoes, peppers, and my least favorite, of the Solicinae family. I can't even say it. 
eggplant that you are going to be okay. Nightshades can generally be broken into two camps, those that are edible and those that are toxic to humans. We don't worry about the toxic ones because they aren't the ones growing in your garden unless you're an herbalist with bad intent. And if you are, I hope you'll reconsider. Hey, you mysterious growers of nightshades. We've got the perfect soil for your tomatoes, peppers, potatoes, and eggplant. Yes, even those misunderstood eggplant. Baby Boo's Potting Soil from Malibu Compost. It's light, airy, has a perfect drainage, and with 20% of Boo's Blend farm-made, true organic, non-GMO compost already in it, as well as several natural organic fertilizers that you won't find in the cheaper commercial potting soil brands. So sneak out to your local independent nursery for a bag or several or order online at www.malibucompost.com today. Here's the deal on Solacinea, or nightshades. They are a family of flowering plants that include annual and perennial herbs to vines, shrubs, and trees. They range from agricultural crops to medicinal plants, spices, weeds, and ornamentals. Many of them contain alkaloids. Some are highly toxic, but many, including the ones that we eat, tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, bell, and chili peppers are not. Let's talk a little bit about the alkaloids. I think that they used to live down the street from me in New Jersey. (laughs) Members of other alkaloids, the nightshade family, produce toxins that are dangerous to humans, pets, and some other animals. In veggie, the primary toxin is solanine, which is a concentrated, basically, in the foliage and with just little trace amounts in the fruit. There are high levels of solanine in the green skins of sun-scalded potatoes. If you peel off the green potato skins, it removes the toxins, but most people prefer to just toss out the green potatoes. That's what we do. For you smokers out there, quit, by the way, because one of the other alkaloids that are in nightshade plants is nicotine. 
It is in very small amounts in eggplants and in tomatoes and is in much greater concentrations in the member of the nightshade family in the Nicotinia genus, a.k.a. tobacco. You see what I'm telling you here? Put down your cigarettes and start smoking tomatoes. Actually, tomatoes cooked on a smoker are delicious. There are other issues that pop up with some people who eat nightshade vegetables. Besides the good stuff, vitamin C, potassium, fiber, and biotin, or or vitamin B7, which helps turn the carbohydrates, fats, and proteins in the food that you eat into energy, nightshade veggies also cause inflammation to some. Nightshade vegetables have what are called glycoalkaloids in them. And they did not live near me in New Jersey, which are a group of chemicals that form when sugar molecules combine with alkaloid molecules. For the plants, the glycoalkaloids protect against predators and pathogens like bacteria, fungi, virus, insects, and animals. But how glycoalkaloids affect humans vary from human to human from acting as antioxidants that can help protect against cancer and for other people who are sensitive to them, they can cause inflammation which can make the immune system overreact and affect the gut function for those particular people. There isn't a ton of research on whether glycoalkaloids are actually harmful. The warning signs for those who are are joint pain, muscle ache, nausea, and they're pretty quick within a day or two. If you do have a sensitivity to them, Use common sense and eliminate them from your diet, just like you would if you were lactose intolerant or allergic to any other type of food. For everybody else, munch away. I love tomatoes, peppers, and potatoes, and I loathe eggplant. Eggplant. Nothing is worse for me, a vegetarian, when I roll over to somebody's place for dinner and because they know that I'm a vegetarian, they whip out an eggplant parmesan that they spent hours preparing. Why do I bring this up? Because it's happened to me more than once, actually three times, and I had to suffer through the excruciating torment of eating eggplant. To make it worse, there were no dogs at any of these meals for me to feed under the table. Just kidding. I love dogs way too much to make them eat eggplant. I solved the problem. I now tell people that I'm allergic to eggplant ahead of time. I also carry a large Ziploc baggie with me to unknown vegetarian dinners in case I need a sneaky and effective way for eggplant disposal. I'm going to talk about my favorite of the nightshade plants, the tomato. And how did the tomato end up in my garden, in your garden? Most of the recipes that I use for tomatoes are Italian, as I love Italian food, and many of the sauces from Italy require the fabulous tomato. The truth is that the tomato's origins have been traced back to the early Aztecs, somewhere around 700 AD. Therefore, it is believed that the tomato is native to the Americas. Wow. Who knew? I would have never guessed that, right? Would any of you guys? As the tale of the tomato goes, the first tomatoes to make it to Europe were brought by the Spanish conquistadors from South America sometime in the 16th century. They called the fruit tomatol, which was the Aztec word for what they called it in Peru. One report says the tomato was first mentioned in 1548 in Tuscany. They had called it pomodoro, 
which is translated golden fruits. Others say that the first time that the tomato appeared in European cooking was in Naples. Naples had been part of the Spanish Empire at the time of the conquistadors, which was 1504 to 1714. And Naples is near and dear to my heart as pizza is one of my seven food groups and Naples would become known as the capital of pizza. They started growing tomatoes in Italy around 1550. Throughout the 16th century, Europeans in the South began to adapt to this fruit, but in the northern parts of Europe, the flatware of the rich folks was made from pewter, and pewter has a high lead content, and tomatoes have a high acid content. The acid from the tomatoes caused the lead from the plates to be leached out of the plates and into the food. Ergo, they figured it was the tomatoes that were poisonous. In 1692, the first tomato recipe was published in Italian in Naples by the chef to the Spanish viceroy. We don't have viceroys anymore. I wonder what it would be like to be like a viceroy. Hey, what's your dad do? He's a viceroy. I'd like to be a viceroy, whatever that is. It was tomato sauce in the Spanish style called Los Calco a la Moderna. But in Italy... And around the world, it wouldn't be until 1889 when the tomato would become the undisputed world champion of fruits when a Neapolitan chef, Raffaele Esposito, invented the Margherita pizza in honor of Queen Margherita of Savoy. Man, was she lucky. Can you imagine having the first pizza named after you? You know, there's a lot of questioning about whether a tomato or tomato is a fruit or a vegetable. I always call it a fruit, but legally that's not correct. The question was taken all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1887. U.S. tariff laws imposed a 10% duty on vegetables, but none on fruit. A tomato importer named John Nix sued the tax collector at the Port of New York. Edward L. Hedden, arguing that tomatoes, since they were really fruits, should be exempt from the tax. In a case, Reed Nix versus Hedden. The botanical claim was not in dispute. Tomatoes, as the seed-bearing ripened ovary of a flower, are fruits. Yet in a triumph of ordinary language over scholarly, The highest court in the land ruled in 1893 that the tomato was a vegetable and therefore subject to the tariff. In his decision, Justice Gray wrote, Botanically speaking, tomatoes are fruits of a vine, just as are cucumbers, squashes, beans, and peas. But in the common language of the people, all of these are vegetables, which whether eaten, cooked, or raw, are usually served at dinner, like my wife, with or after the soup, fish, or meats, which constitute the principal part of the repast and not like fruits generally as dessert. As I said a minute ago, I can, I always call tomatoes a fruit today. I don't care what the Supreme Court said, but really it's actually a berry. It's a berry that we grow as an annual, but it's really a perennial 
that will grow as such in its native and wild state. Did you know that you can nurse a tomato through the winter indoors and set it out again next year? Or where I live, just let it keep going? That is the truth and nothing but the whole truth. And you know what else is the truth? I wish I had a pizza named after me, don't you? Next, caring for your nightshades. Hi, it's Norma, biological farmer and producer of the Healthy Garden Podcast. I have organic protocols I use for growing tomatoes very successfully, and I use them every summer. In fact, a year ago, I started at a new client's home where they had many metal horse troughs that we filled with Malibu Compost Baby Boo's potting soil. They had six large troughs and three small round ones, and when I asked them how many tomato plants they would like me to grow for them, they told me 17. She told me that they always grow a lot of different types and that they love them. After planting the 17 different varieties with pretty cages and all, we waited, and for that first month, the green growth was immense. Four weeks later, I added compost tea for fruits, vegetables, and tomatoes from Malibu compost to the base of all the plants. They grew another two feet and flowers started blooming everywhere. Four weeks later, as tomatoes were formed throughout the plants, I added another compost tea for fruits, vegetables, and tomatoes by Malibu compost to the base of all the tomato plants. Cherry tomatoes were ready throughout the plots and so were some of the medium-sized tomatoes. The harvests were bucket loads, and the larger tomatoes weren't even ready yet. I knew they didn't have room in the kitchen for more, but the harvest kept coming. On the twelfth week, it was time to compost tea again, as the larger beefsteaks were just about ready, and to prolong the growing season for the cherries. It was an enormous harvest that summer, and this summer I asked them again, how many would you like me to grow for you this time? And she replied, oh, about five or six. <laughs> if you want great results for your tomato growing needs, go to MalibuCompost.com for your baby boost potting soil and compost tea for fruits, vegetables, and tomatoes.
It's funny to me how we all love certain things in our garden, especially the food garden. I have certain friends that it's about another nightshade. They're peppers. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the peppers that I grow, that we grow, especially my pepperoncini. And I love the Yukon Gold potatoes that we grow. But my favorite edible nightshade is the tomato. I can't help it, hands down. There is nothing in the world like biting into a perfectly ripe heirloom tomato and tasting that explosion of flavor. I pull sun gold cherries off the vine all summer long and just pop them into my mouth without ever washing them. And I love our slicing tomatoes on a TMT. What's that, you ask? It's a Norma invention. Toast, mayonnaise, and tomato. Put a little salt and pepper on that, and you've got a meal fit for a king. I know not everyone shares my sentiment. To some, like our teenage daughter, the mere sight of a tomato can cause her to get ill. In the 1820s, a gardener in Massachusetts was recorded as saying, The first time I saw a tomato, they appeared so disgusting that I thought I must be very hungry before I'm induced to taste one of them. And in Pennsylvania, in the late 1820s, J.D. Garber, good old J.D., noted that no more than two people in a hundred on first tasting would ever be persuaded to taste that sour trash a second time. J.D., that's harsh. I can tell you that he never had one of our tomatoes, or he would have said something more like this, best dang tomato I've ever ate. (laughs) So how do we grow and take care of these often misunderstood fruits and veggies? Well, as always, we start with the basic steps. One, location. Nightshades like the sun. They prefer hot weather. Tomatoes and peppers are vigorous growers that require maximum sun. They need six to eight hours of sun a day. So plant them in the sunniest part of your garden. For potatoes, you got to keep that top growth going. And that's why we plant potatoes in full sun. They can handle partial shade but it's the top growth that feeds the tubers underground so the more sun the better minimum six hours per day hear the commonality here and remember the tubers need to be protected from the sun if they grow near the surface or they will turn green you got to keep them buried under the soil for you eggplant lovers (coughs) which i am not They love the sun too. They want six hours a day and they like it hot. Number two, what are you going to grow? Hit the nursery, look through your books, remember a great meal that you've had somewhere. What are you going to grow and how many? At our house, we love tomatoes, bell peppers, and potatoes. We are currently growing three cherry varieties of tomatoes and three medium to large heirloom slicing varieties. Of course, all of ours are from organic seed or start. We like to change out sometimes, mix it up. So sometimes we'll buy stuff at like tomato mania that we never grew before. It's a great way to get new seeds from things that were successful 
in your garden as well as delicious. As far as the bell peppers go, we do all five colors because we use them to dip hummus and we also cut them up into salads. So we do green, red, orange, yellow, and purple as well as my pepperoncinis, which are multicolored. We eat them so much that we never get a chance to pickle them. They are so incredible raw right out of the garden. And when they're red, they're a little spicier. And when they're green to mottled, they're a little bit sweeter. They're really delicious. Number three, how long are they going to take to grow? Peppers are about 60 days to green fruit and another 20 to red or yellow. Eggplants are around 60 days, while tomatoes can range from 50 to 80 days, depending on the variety. Potatoes can go anywhere from 70 to 120 days. And sometimes, well, in the early season, the potatoes will be ready to consume by the end of May or early June. Others are going to need a little bit more patience. Number four. Soil, soil, soil. I can never say that enough. In fact, I'm going to say it again. I like it so much. Soil, soil, soil. First off, like most fruits and veggies, nightshades like a soil pH of 5.5 to 7.0. They like soil that drains, that has good, clean, organic matter in it, and one with naturally available nutrient and mineral for uptake. For raised beds and containers, we use a complete potting soil that is true organic, non-GMO, clean, and is a standalone potting soil that has natural and organic fertilizers in it that will give a great start to your nightshades. In ground, we do a mix that is one-third native soil, one-third farm-made true organic, non-GMO compost, and one-third of the same potting soil that is true organic, non-GMO, clean, and is a standalone potting soil that has natural organic fertilizers in it. It's important when you are growing in ground to create aeration and space for the root development of your veggies and for your fruits. Number five, fertilizing. We don't, period. We start using compost tea extractions on the nightshades every three weeks. Then we top dress with farm-made, true organic, non-GMO compost every six weeks. We very rarely will add crushed oyster shell or egg shell to our tomatoes if we see a calcium deficiency. Number six, maintenance. Keep your nightshades watered well, especially as they are starting out in the garden. Remember, these are heat lovers and they like soil temperatures that are in the upper 70s to low 80s. The soil will dry out at these temps and higher. We check every day to see how the soil is holding water and if for whatever reason the soil has dried out. Right now with our temps in the 80s, we are watering every other day with our water wand by hand. When the temps hit 90 where we live, we will water every day. And last year, we had a week in the hundreds with strong winds, and some of the days we had to water twice. The soil temperature can be 10 degrees hotter than the air temp on those hottest months and those hottest weeks. The other thing to look at with your nightshades is pests. Check out episode number 30, Practical Pest Management, to get our tips on what we do to keep the pests at bay. 
And for things like blossom end rot on tomatoes, they are generally a watering issue and not a calcium issue, as most gardeners or experts will tell you. It's usually stress on the soil that is causing the plants to need to be able to, to not be able to absorb enough calcium through uptake. We had this problem last year with a couple of tomatoes in our earth boxes and realized that this system was holding too much moisture for our tomatoes. Our lettuces grow great in them, but we've moved the tomatoes into the larger containers, the half wine barrel size containers, and we're having great success because they've got depth. Number seven, harvest. As with all of your other plants, your veggies, your fruits in your food garden, you will want to harvest your nightshades as they are ready. Do not linger. Don't delay. Get them out and off before nature does it in the form of bugs, rats, squirrels, or disease. We hope that you've enjoyed this brief tour of some of our favorite foods to grow, which just happen to be nightshades that are rich in history and in lore and have an unusual list of benefits and grievances. It is strange to me that some of our favorite edible plants also come from the same family as some of the deadliest plants on earth. But that's part of the beauty and the mystery of creation. That a plant whose leaves and stems and shoots are highly toxic and just above the ground from the prized potatoes that we make french fries with is amazing. And the deadly nightshade, a.k.a. Atria belladonna, was what they made makeup for for wealthy women during the Renaissance. It came from the flowers of the nightshade and made a beautiful blush. But remember, it was look but don't touch. 10 to 20 berries from that plant can kill you, and it could kill your pets. It's interesting to me also that the cows that I'm around all the time and the other ruminant animals, the goats and the sheep and the alpaca, can eat nightshades with impunity. And for us, as long as we're not allergic, we can eat all the salsa that we can at Taco Tuesday without a care in the world except maybe a breath mint or two. So that's it, gardening gang. I think we've cracked a little of the mystery of these beautiful plants and exposed a little light on the deadly nightshade dilemma. That concludes this episode of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Please post your questions on the Healthy Garden Podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week to learn more about how you can free yourself from the chemical and synthetic trap that's been set to keep you from growing a true, organic, and healthy garden. Until then, happy and healthy gardening.